Good morning. <laughs> so, whoa. Um, just before Dave intros this morning, I do want to give a bit of a plug for the True City Prayer Room. Uh, we talked about True City. It's this movement of churches that are working together for the good of the city. Uh, Sinclair fully believes we're part of a kingdom. We're not trying to build our own empire. And each time the True City Conference happens, there's two weeks of prayer after. And what's different this year is churches have been asked to take a full day themselves to pray. So we've signed you up, so don't make us look bad, um, to pray for a day. But I I can't stress this enough. This happens all the time uh, when I've read stories of God at move in the world. It always is birthed in prayer. I've tried to get out of it. I've tried to find a get out clause. But when God has moved in history, it's always been birthed through people praying together. And what's beautiful is it's the churches together in Hamilton praying together. And we play a part of that. So just as Paul says we're one body, in many ways, if we see Hamilton, we're one body and we all have a role. So St. Clair's role, just like all the other churches, is to pray. So I just encourage you in light of what Dina said to think about signing up for a slot. Um, here's what I would say. Sometimes you can think, oh, this makes me nervous. Uh, this was me. I can only pray for three minutes. And even that two minutes is silence of the three. So that's how I work. But when you go, what you'll find is it's a creative prayer space with lots of different things to engage in. So just try it. Most people who've ever gone to pray in a prayer room like that have ended up staying because God captures their heart with what it is to pray there. Sorry, Dave. That was like my plug. That's a like little advertising plug. sponsored by Nike. And not basketball shoes in light of this week. Anyway, sorry. As a sports a good, gag, yeah, if anyone got it. it. Nat's sorry. referencing Zion Williamson, and we're off to a good start. There you go. Uh, so this is Zion, biblical. Yeah. So. I've lost 95% of you already. Um, <laughs> so where we find ourselves this morning, uh, we weren't together last week. Last week was a missional family Sunday for us, and many of you know this, but we will often take holiday weekends throughout the year and treat that as a missional family Sunday. And we have been talking over the course of this year around the theme of the parables and the gospel of Luke. And next week, we are looking at a teaching that will carry us through uh, the season of Lent. So we had this as maybe a sort of a one-off Sunday, and it felt appropriate on the heels of a missional family Sunday where we didn't gather here to talk about why we gather here on a Sunday. For the since my sabbatical two years ago, I've stopped checking Facebook on a regular basis. I know I'm a good human. So, so I've not really checked Facebook, but just last week uh, I was on there because I sometimes post things on the Sinclair page. So I was on there and I accidentally started scrolling through Facebook. And after about 20 minutes of being on there, I realized that I desperately needed an apple fritter from Donut Monster. I also, exactly. I also realized there was a political character that I really didn't like and a political character that I really did like. I was also encouraged that I should add an extra dog to my family. And I realized that cats weren't quite so bad after all. Because I saw a really cute video of a cat playing around. Um, what I realized was my mind and my heart were being shaped and formed in those few minutes as I was online. 
As disciples of Jesus and as a church, we often say we're trying to create an environment where we can form people in the ways of Jesus. But we have to remember that we live in a culture that is also trying to shape and form our hearts and ideals. Tish Warren, in her brilliant book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, I'd encourage anyone to read it, says this. We are shaped every day, whether we know it or not, by practices, rituals and liturgies that make us who we are. We receive these practices, which are often wrote, not only from church or scripture, but also from the culture around us. So we fully believe that our hearts and our desires are being shaped by what we do and the practices that we have. And at St. Clair, we would say that we gather in missional families because we believe they're a place to shape us. But we actually want to emphasize this morning that we also believe this time together, gathered, is the way of formation for us too. Our history at St. Clair, when we started, we probably leant towards doing missional family and midweek stuff because we felt that was really important. I would say for the last few years of church history, Sunday morning has almost become the be-all and end-all of church. To the point where people say, are you going to church? Where we forget the New Testament rights to the fact we are the church as people. But we say we're going to church and so Sunday has become really important. So it's a bit of a pushback, St. Clair said, but also the church gathers constantly throughout the week. Following Jesus is a 24-7 participation. Over the last little while, as Dave and I have chatted and prayed and talked to our leadership team, we also want to say that Sunday morning is also a central part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so our missional family and our Sunday gathering are both really important. In Acts chapter 2, the scripture writes about the early church. It said they met daily in the temple courts, in the big gathering, and in people's homes. And so we would say church exists on that whole spectrum of the gathered and then the scattered. And so we really want to emphasize this morning why we think Sunday is actually an important part of our formation and discipleship. Let me read for us again uh, the passage from Hebrews. Um, actually, a quick side note, uh, very unspiritual about cats in the internet. The guy who is credited with having created the internet, the thing that has literally taken over the world, when he was asked what is the thing that he's most surprised or shocked by in what the internet has become, he said it's the phenomena of cats online. That's all. I'm going to read scripture now. <laughs> okay. This, this is what Elaine read for us. We're going to come back to it again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For we, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some in the habit are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
just a brief bit of context is always important rather than just pulling verses out. Uh, the letter of the Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote it. Uh, that's still a bit of a mystery uh, to biblical scholars. But the, but the intent was to write to a community of Jewish believers who are trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus in this time and this place, and particularly to a community that are undergoing pretty severe persecution. Later on in chapter 10, we'll see uh, the writer reminding them of the things they've suffered and the way uh, their lives have been challenged. There's a really fascinating piece of uh, scripture that says, um, uh, verse 34, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You joyfully celebrated when people robbed you. Ah, isn't that the word for the day? So uh, when you get robbed later on today in your neighborhood in Hamilton, celebrate what God is doing in your life. But the writer of the Hebrews is writing to this community who are struggling. And what's interesting is there's a verse in here, a verse 25 that says, uh, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, when I grew up in church, that was the reason we should go to church. Like, don't give up meeting together. One commentary I read this week was really fascinating. They said the writer is encouraging them because they're being persecuted. And when you're persecuted, your tendency is to hide and be scattered. And the writer is saying, even though your life is in danger, keep meeting together because it's important to proclaim Jesus' kingship. So when we read that, the background is suffering of the people of God, which begs the question, we're probably not going through that. So even more so, what does it mean for us to meet together? But sometimes we can be really comfortable, uh, maybe in our day and age, and thinking, well, it doesn't really matter. To people who are being persecuted, it matters deeply. What we're offering this morning is to say that our Sunday corporate gathering is a spiritual practice. And this backdrop of Hebrews 10 is what we want sort of as a reference point to highlight a few things the ways in which we see this gathering as holding us and as being central and defining to who we are. So one uh, is to say that Sunday, our Sunday gathering is a discipline. Sunday is a discipline for us. The Christian life, we talk about this often, is that it is discipleship. We just simply define it in the terms of saying it's learning to live the life of Jesus. That's when you really boil it down, that's what we hope you hear when we talk about this thing called discipleship. I didn't realize this till recently, but the word discipleship comes from the same word as discipline. They're getting after the same thing. Our, our friend Robert, in turn, uh, will often use the language, the word fidelity, as this way of capturing a sense of our faithfulness to Jesus and Jesus' faithfulness to us. And the reality is, is that the grace of God has been given in our lives, and then we then have a response. And in that, we have choices to make. And those choices are what represents these disciplines of our lives. They are these boundaries, these things that help give us and keep us with a focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Hebrews 12, a couple of chapters later, the author is saying, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that can so easily entangle and run the race that is marked out for you and for me, your eyes on Jesus. 
And as we say yes to Jesus, we inherently say no to other things. In many respects, our life of being a disciple is learning this disciplined way of being. Now, I say that hesitantly because the word discipline has come with a lot of baggage for me. And I I honestly feel like in 20 years of thinking about this and praying about this, it's maybe only recently that I feel like it's turning a corner and that word discipline actually feels like it's life-giving and not threatening or daunting or just plain difficult. I think in a lot of ways, the Christian life is a discipline of discovering delight. As we say yes to Jesus and no to other things, and there are choices that we make in order to live the way of Jesus, we begin to discover a joy and a desire that can only come as a gift from God. We respond to God's grace with these choices that show up as disciplines, and we discover God's grace as we live into those choices as disciplines in our life. And our Sunday gathering is one of these disciplines that holds us, that keeps us focused on Jesus. This is what verse, I think verse 23 is capturing. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let me read you this. We, you might have caught on that we like to quote people a lot. That's because there's a lot smarter people out there than us. So we hope that, you know, we're not just making stuff up. So this comes from a guy named Mark Sayers, who's a pastor in Australia. He says this about Sunday as a discipline. He says, we get the idea that making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles, or to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity, or to fast, may not always be pleasurable, but in the discipline of these things, we become more Christ-like. Yet, we expect church to always be pleasurable, enriching, and exciting. Maybe the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline, which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change and becoming more like Jesus. So we see Sunday as a discipline. We also see Sunday as an orientation. Verse uh, 22 in this passage in Hebrews says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It opens into this passage on community we're saying let us draw near to God and this orientation is a reminder of why we actually gather you see community is really important the things we do are really important but they're kind of a byproduct of us gathering to worship God and celebrate who he is it's an orientation back to what's most important 
I remember a friend saying to me once, we gather to remind us, we all gather together to remind ourselves it's not about us. That's what we do on a Sunday. We come together to worship and orient ourselves back to God and who he is. And we do this to retell the story of what God has been doing in the world and in our lives. What's interesting is when the early church gather around these practices of eating together, of worshiping together, of prayer, of the scripture, what they're doing is retelling and repracticing the story that has been passed down through God's people from the very beginning. These things that we do together are what the people of God, the family of God has done through centuries. And so we keep doing that because it actually orients us back to what's most important. And even as we Dave and I were talking about this recently and we were struck by the Jewish tradition of Sabbath started on Friday night at sundown. So that's when Sabbath started. And the reason was it prepared them to step into the Sabbath day and actually to prepare them for going to the synagogue to worship together or to the temple in the New Testament. I don't know about you, have you ever thought the Saturday, I don't know what you were doing last night, but as you were going to bed, you were like, I'm really preparing myself for Sunday morning and to worship together with the people of God. I'm actually going to prep my heart and my mind for that. Maybe like me, sometimes you think I desperately need coffee, otherwise I will not be able to gather tomorrow with the community of faith. But actually the Jewish people said the night before they were already preparing themselves because what was important was they brought themselves into the community. See, What we do personally affects how we live into community. The scripture here says, draw near to God. And so maybe one of the questions is, how we're walking with God brings and affects how we live in community together. Mark says, who Dave quoted, had a phrase this week that has kind of been rattling around in my heart and mind. He was talking about moves of God in history. And he said this, Congregational or community revival always starts with personal renewal. Community revival always starts with personal renewal. And he told the story of going into John Wesley's bedroom where he would pray and read the scripture. And he said he looked over and they still have this bench uh, where John Wesley used to kneel and pray. And he said the bench is worn out, the pads on the bench, because John Wesley would pray regularly. And he said he realized it was in this room that a move of God started that changed a lot of the Western church and a lot of the Western world. Because John Wesley just said, Lord, I'm available. Would you use me? So we gather like this. We also bring ourselves into the community. And that's really important because our Often our, the way we view church is, what do I get out of it and how do I benefit? But what if as we draw near to God, we actually realize we get to offer something back? In Hebrews, it would say, let us encourage one another to persevere. And we encourage one another because we know each other and we're in relationship. And so what if Sunday wasn't also just about what we come to get, but also what we give, because in orientation back to the one we come to worship, which is in a culture of self reminds us that we actually don't worship ourselves, we worship Jesus. Yeah, and we hope in this that you wouldn't hear, oh, we just think Sunday is 
awesome, and you should all just love it as much as we do. Sundays are hard for all of us at different points in different ways, but there's something in the, the, what Matt's saying in the orientation of our expectation of what we bring in being together, and that there are some weeks that as we gather, we need to sing on behalf of those with us who can't sing that week, who maybe are carrying something that they can't get a voice out, and it's just enough for them to get through the door. There's something that we hold in being together where we, our language fails us often, as Matt hinted. We, we talk about church as this place, and we often talk about it in terms of likes and dislikes. Did you like the music? Was the sermon good? You know, it's, our, that's sort of maybe a half critique because I don't actually know what better language there is. I just think there's probably better language to talk about some of these things. And what we hope our Sunday gathering is, is that it's both this inhale, this being filled with the presence of God, and this exhale, this place where we're giving for the sake of one another. It's not just a place to consume. It's actually what we hope it's not. Um, Sunday as community. So this, verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some in the, are in the habit of doing. Our presence together matters, and maybe, perhaps, all the more in our digital world. When I was 16, that was a big moment for me because I knew it meant getting my license. That was a, at that point in life, that was the pinnacle. That was the peak. If you got your license, it, it meant inevitable freedom and just the ability to do really dumb things when your parents aren't watching, which I'm lucky that I'm here today. I remember when I got my license, I wrote the G1 test. Uh, that was a big deal, and I passed it. Uh, and then my mom gave me the keys to drive home, and that was amazing. And then eventually, I got my G2, and, you know, and the freedom kicked in. And it was so much fun on a Friday night or a Saturday to go out with friends and just drive aimlessly, but it was a chance to be together that made for a lot of really good memories uh, at that stage of life for me. I've more recently discovered that 16-year-olds today are not experiencing that same kind of joy because they do not have an expectation that getting a license is all that important to their daily satisfaction. Because being present with one another matters less and less because they're always connected to each other online. So why do you need to go out to be in the same place together when you can just talk from your rooms alone? Some of you who are young parents, this is the world that you are growing your kids into. These are like the new norms that that are amongst us. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck with Justin. (laughs) There is actually something really critical and perhaps even there's a desperate need in the, this cultural moment that we find ourselves to continue to meet together. That there is something significant about being together that can't be replaced by some other means. We post our, our podcast, these teachings online, so that we can continue to learn and grow together as a community, whether you're able to be here on any given Sunday 
or not. But what we do want to say is there is an, uh, a quality of being together that can't be replaced by something else. We've said it a few times, and we'll keep saying it again, that we are a community that are found in the Father, and we are formed in family. We find our identity in Jesus, who loves us through the Father, and we learn to live out this identity as a son and daughter, as brothers and sisters, being formed in family together, in our homes, and in our Sunday gathering. This, this actually matters a lot. And in a world where many people live as islands, being submitted to a community is actually a radically subversive thing to be a part of. It is less and less the norm, where we may have grown up thinking Sunday gathering is normal. Everyone does it. Eugene Peterson, I'll throw out another quote, says this, there could be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting for living the Christian life. Before the last point, on the community point, this might sound a strange thing to say, but showing up is actually just an important practice because people need us to be here. There's a couple of older people in our community that I love dearly, and often they'll say, oh, Matt, like, St. Clair is such a young church, and I feel old, and I'm not quite sure how I relate. And I often say to them, oh, your presence here communicates something because we're part of a family. And we need every generation. And so sometimes even the familiarity of having someone there on a Sunday is really important. And when, and if you're like this, when you see someone's not there, you actually miss them. Maybe you don't tell them enough, but actually being here and just being present is really important. So we have Sunday's discipline, Sunday's orientation, Sunday's community, and the last one is Sunday as liturgy. The first part of Hebrews chapter 10 and leading into the scriptures we read, verses 19 and 21, talk about the sacrificial system for the people of Israel and the priestly temple uh, system that the Jews had. And they structured the temple and the priestly system around these practices or this liturgy that formed them as a people. And so we use the word liturgy at St. Clair, which is really... <laughs> Non-traditional churches call it the order of service. That means liturgy because everyone has someone. It's very funny. I talked to some friends who are uh, less, uh, who may be like the freedom of a Sunday. They're like, we don't have a liturgy, but they play one song five times every single week. They have a liturgy. So everyone has a liturgy, a set of practices that form us and shape us. And so each time we gather on a Sunday, we, Dave and I have looked at the scripture, we've looked at church history to ask what are the practices that we participate in publicly that we want people to practice privately in their own life. You might find this hard to believe. We don't just throw our Sunday service together 10 minutes before we start. We actually think through what are the elements that we want to put in our Sunday gathering so they form us and shape us.
We start with silence specifically because we live in a world of noise. So to have a few moments to pause and remind ourselves that solitude and silence is part of being a disciple. We gather and sing together and proclaim who God is in worship because that is what the people of God have done throughout history. Sometimes we have songs of lament and grief and sometimes we have songs of praise and worship. And that's how the church has gathered. Singing together is a really powerful act. There's hardly any places that I can think of that we actually sing corporately anymore. Maybe the national anthem, definitely in English sporting events like soccer, but it's normally terrible songs, and the church. But there's not many places for that that we sing publicly of what God has done in our lives. We gather around the table each week because we remind ourselves of the story of the meal that God has gave us, and it's very tactile. We say the Lord's Prayer because we pray together. We give a benediction, which is a blessing as we go. So everything we participate in is important to shape us and form us. Tish Warren, who I quoted earlier, says this. We don't wake up daily and form a way of being in the world from scratch. And we don't think our way through every action of our day. We move in patterns that we have set over time day by day. These habits and practices shape our loves our desires, and ultimately who we are and what we worship. So I've had a few people say to me, oh Matt, we need to be out doing much more. Like, why do we gather on a Sunday morning? There's so much we should be doing in the world. But actually we only gather for an hour and a half together in the whole of our week. And that time is important because I think it does remind us of what's important and shape us towards our love for God and ultimately who we worship. As our liturgy, each week we gather around the table and that's an important practice for us. And we're going to uh, spend some time around the table in a few moments. The scripture we said earlier says, draw near to God. And this morning, we're going to invite you to draw near to the table that God has laid out for us. We believe that by taking the bread and drinking the juice each week, it reminds us of our story and reminds us of our identity. And this is a communal practice. We join in the church from history, from ages past, who have taken the bread and taken the juice and started a revolution. They're quite interesting elements for a revolution, but they are the revolution of what God is doing in the world, that this humility that we gather from around the table shapes us as his people. So part of our liturgy, our ongoing practice of taking communion together uh, is to pray a prayer of confession together. I'm going to invite the worship crew to come on up uh, as we do this together, but uh, on the screen, these are words that you can say and pray with me. Let this crew come and get set up. Would you pray this with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. 
the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. And let me read these words for you, St. Clair. To hear these words from Psalm 103. I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I will not always accuse, nor will I harbor my anger forever. I will not treat you as your sins deserve or repay you according to your iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is my love for you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you.